It's a beautiful day to be alive. We are gathered here today, brothers and sisters, uh, to engage in epic activities, as was predicted uh, some 11 months ago. Epic activities only in 2020, we said, and here we are at the uh, at the end of 2020, engaged in epic activities, or effectivities, if they've become to know. As they have become to be known. How is everybody doing today? Smash that like. Let's get those notifications ringing. Let's get everybody in here. Let's get everybody gathered around for this joyful and epic live event as we delve into Awakening from the Meaning Crisis Part 2 with Viveki, John, and Akira the Dawn. So glad that rhymes. Let me get my chat working on the screen. Make some noise, make some noise, make some noise with your hieroglyphics, as is the way here in the future. This is the way. This is the way. Shout out to Alan Watts. Yeah, here we go. There you go, God bless, how y'all doing? Let's see who's in the building. We've got Patrick Smith, we've got Fool Killer, we've got YouTube Hero Alex, of course. Jules Vaughn is in the house, says happy lunar eclipse. Wait, is it a lunar eclipse? Is it another one? Wasn't it a lunar eclipse uh, like last 
week or something. I feel we've had a lot of lunar eclipses this year. Auspiciousnesses. YouTube Hero Alex says the closer we get to the new year, the more it's hitting me that it's been one heck of a year. Can't we say that every year though? Isn't it always one heck of a year? I mean, it's been one heck of a year, but I'm pretty sure it's always one heck of a year. Daniel Petty says happy full moon. The words Petty and full moon together brings me great joy. Shouts out to Tom Petty and his first solo album uh, recorded with Jeff Lynne uh, of ELO, of course, which was Full Moon Fever. And that was a great album. Uh, that was one of the albums by which, uh, you know, judge, do not uh, compare yourself to other people but yourself yesterday, but I do use certain records as a benchmark of quality, you know, and I, and I strive to aim and surpass such levels of quality, and that's one of those albums. God bless Tom Petty. The immortal Tom Petty, the, the immortal, glorious, who gave us so much and asked of us so little. You know, and had wonderful hair. Yeah. How's everyone doing out there? How are you feeling? How's your day? How's your week going? Uh, I'm happy to announce that I finished uh, the composition part of the new album today. That means I finished uh, writing and laying out the songs, editing the vocals, writing the choruses, arranging the tracks, all that kind of thing. Stage one of the new album is complete. Stage two, of course, is detailing. That will be adding instrumentation and uh, things of that nature. You know, filling it out, filling it out. You can think of it like a, like the way uh, people draw things, you know, they'll pencil. Say a comic book, they'll pencil it, you know, then they'll ink it and they'll color it. It's a bit like that, so I've done the penciling. And the writing, the writing and the penciling is done. The story is done, the, the layouts are done, the panels are in place, you know. Now it's time to beautify it. Daniel Petty says, I'm going to start live streaming game dev every day. Can I play your music in the background? Of course you can. Of course you can. You're very welcome. I've instructed a new distributor not to claim anybody's videos on Twitch, YouTube, or anywhere else that use our music. So you will not be claimed by me. So then, go forth, be mighty, be joyful. Be glad, be glad. It's a beautiful day to be alive here at the peak of recorded human civilization by Joe. Didn't you know? Didn't anyone tell you? Well, I'm here to tell you that, baby. I'm here to tell you. It's a beautiful day. Hey, I got a Christmas tree. We went and got a Christmas tree today. My little family and I, you know, we went to the Christmas tree uh, pop-up place in Dripping Springs. They got a tent, you know, and we went there and we found a real nice tree. We said, hey, uh, how much is delivery? Because we do not have a vehicle currently. And uh, they said, oh, we don't do delivery. And uh, I was like, oh, no, we found the perfect tree, you know. Went to Home Depot. They had a, a, a tree section. I said, do you do delivery? The woman said, yeah, delivery. The woman said, yeah, we do delivery. Go to customer service and uh, have a word with them and come back here. So I went to customer service and they said, do not do delivery. I was very proud of my son. He was really, really excited about the Christmas tree. And uh, both of these setback setbacks did not phase him. You know, he didn't get, uh, he didn't cry, he didn't get sad. He just assumed that we would work it out because we always do. You know, he was very excited about looking at Christmas decorations in Home Depot. Uh, he found a nice reindeer, uh, the skeleton, essentially a kind of reindeer exoskeleton with lights on it. You know, it's kind of an interesting thing. And uh, he likes it very much. You know, we got that. Uh, 
you know, there was no uh, there was no super big Uber Eats type situations that could take a tree. Uh, there's a, a body car uh, thing. It's a bit like Uber for trucks. That wasn't working. But then we remembered, ah, we'd mess a man who would drive us around in a lift one time and he gave us a card and said, anytime you need a ride, just hit me up. So we hit him up and uh, no problem, said he. And uh, he, he delivered our tree for us. You know, he bought us our tree in his big old truck. And uh, lo, it was wonderful. And uh, he informed us as he was dropping off the tree uh, that he doesn't have a tree himself because he's allergic to Christmas trees. But he still delivered ours for us. What a guy. What a guy. Delivered us a Christmas tree despite being allergic to Christmas trees. If that ain't Christmassy, if that ain't the spirit of Christmas, I don't know what is. We've got a great big tree now in a great big Texas yard house thing. Living room. Yes, we do. And, uh, I treated myself to a rare something that was not essential, and I bought two extra strip lights for my studio. So the the, the circumference of the front of my studio, I've been basically getting like one little strip light every couple of months myself. Uh, these huge strip lights, you know. And now it meets, it goes around, and it, it, it's, it's all there. And uh, I spent about two hours putting it up. And then a section in the middle doesn't work properly. But I still felt good, you know, it still felt good to, to get those lights, to put those lights up, to beautify my studio a little bit more, you know. It's very good, the Hue system. It's more expensive than other, uh, other of these light systems. I've tried other ones. This one just works, you know, Hue just works. I've got to say, shout out to the people who put that together. It really does just work. Apart from the section that doesn't work, but they're going to replace that. It's fine. Um, but as far as the software and everything and it connecting together and being able to set up profiles and being able to do cool stuff like just like upload a photo from your phone to, and it just maps that to lights, you know. So I just take my albums, you know, and I, I make light profiles and I'll be like, okay, today is JBP Wave 3. Or today is What's Wave 2, How to Be a Better Person, lighting in the studio. D-Man has a question, says, will Hercules inherit the meaning stream? <laughs> well, when I die, uh, I think he'll have his own things going on by then, before then, you know, particularly since I'm doing Noah numbers, you know, particularly since the idea is that I'm here uh, for Noah years. We're doing Noah numbers. Uh, Hercules wants his own stream. He keeps going on. He keeps asking me. Uh, he also wants uh, me and him to do our own Twitch channel. Father and Son Gaming channel. He said, it'll be funny, Dada. People will like it. You'll be like a noob, and I'll be the pro. We can call it the noob and the pro. Ah, uh, God bless. Hey, Andre P says, crisis and chill made me click. Definitely a bit of a crisis. Oh, you come to the right place. You come to the right place. D-Man says, where can I hit the subscribe button? <laughs> uh, that's a good question. Where is the subscribe button? It should be easily visible. YouTube Hero Alex. Do your heroic thing and let the, let the people know. Patrick Smith says, actually a great idea. Hercules has the idea muscle. He does, he does. He's full of great ideas right now. He's making comic books and designing games and designing new Pikmin. He's trying to invent a new color. You know, he's got a lot going on. Making mushrooms out of clay, things of that nature. Great day, woo! 
Matthew Coates says, I got a $45 haircut from an old wizard barber named Joe. That's wonderful. We're going to do the, uh, we're going to get right into this, you know. And uh, we're going to do the international high five before we do in order to charge ourselves up and uh, distribute the energy correctly. For the international high five today, all I need to know is where on God's green earth you are. And uh, what are your thoughts on flow? Tell me your th- feelings and thoughts on flow. Is it something you know about? Is it something you do? Do you have any tips for getting there? Because uh, that's one of our main uh, subjects today, tonight, today, and today, and tonight. Here on Meaning Crisis and Chill. Incidentally, uh, I hit up uh, Viveki John. He's got up and uh, said, hey, you know, did this experiment last week on the stream and uh, it was really cool. Uh, what'd you think? Would you mind us doing more of it? And uh, and uh, he sent me a really lovely message, uh, the gist of which was basically that he's down, baby. He's down. He thinks it's dope. So shouts out to Viveki John. Johnny V in the place to be. Go check him out. Make sure you follow him in his uh, YouTube. He does like guided meditation. He does like weekly guided meditation sessions. He's doing a dope thing on Saturday as well. Uh, so go check him out. Word XP says the year is 2077. Hercules streams from Mars. The meaning stream. Number two. 235670. I don't even know. I got that number right. Patrick Smith's in the house says breathing exercises may increase flow. Patrick Smith says a new color. Whoa, just blew my mind. I wish I would still think of cool things like that. That limitless, limitless kid energy, you know that. Why not invent a new color? Or at least discover one. Here's the thing. This has been blowing my mind a lot. Hercules said this. Oh yeah, and I meant to, I meant to tweet it. Hercules said, you know Orange's dad? Yeah, he goes, who came up with the name Orange? They were lazy. He said, I'm glad the person who came up with the name Orange didn't come up with the name for Cucumber because then it would be called a green. That shit messed me up. I lay awake for about an hour thinking about that. (laughs) The person who named the Orange also named the plum it would be called a purple and we wouldn't have the word plum we wouldn't have the color because plum is a color because it's the color of a plum right so if that motherfucker got there first and named the plum the purple we wouldn't have any way of describing the color plum so therefore it probably wouldn't exist to us it'd be just like ah that purple you know what i mean you know the way if you don't have a word for it it kind of doesn't exist Huh. That shit messed me up by Jove. And, uh, and will mess me up for the rest of my life. I want to know who the hell it was who got the go-ahead to name the orange orange. What unimaginative swine was let loose on the naming. Hey, look at this thing. It's orange. What are we going to call it? Let's call it orange. Move on. Move on. we got a ton of things to name today. You know, there's a there's a, a yellow over there. What do you mean that thing? Just call it a yellow. No, no, I want to call it a lemon. I call it a lemon. I don't care. I'd have called it a yellow. On we? We got more things to name. To name, name, name. name. We got more things to name. Gotta find out what else the guy who named the orange orange did. 
must have done something else because that shit took him all of one second. Yo. Daniel Pesci says we can only solve problems that we have the language for. Thanks, Terence. Exactly. Exactly. What was that line in uh, Dune last week? About how... Uh, about, you know, the things that exist that we do not have senses yet to uh, to comprehend. Outside the range of our smell, touch, taste, and, and hear. Type ziggity-bob. Yo. That's surreal. Richard Young says, how's the fine flow? Find the sweet spot where work is neither too hard nor too easy. If it's too hard, you get frustrated. Too easy, you get bored. Flow is that sweet spot in between. The growth maximum. That's just facts. That's just straight facts by Jack. Matthew Coates says, Anime, oh, what a concept. God bless that Hercules. Indeed. Regular Pops is in the house. Here from Maine says, I get into flow. But I really don't know. I just get all up in there and I'm pleasantly surprised and stay there as long as I can. Good, good work. As you know, I've been in... in uh, involved in this in uh, what you call it experiment in a zone occupation for nearly three years now I got into the zone so to speak uh, was it January February 2018 2018 and I have stayed there I have not left I've been there ever since that's how I managed to make how many records is it since then it's a lot how many records we put out this year it's a lot a lot of albums came out this year. I believe it was 10 vocal albums, let alone the instrumentals and other things. Let alone the two streams a day, that type of business. So yeah, we, 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 we're very interested in the, in the concept of flow over here. And by this point, I consider myself something of, uh, I don't know about expert, but I know, I know it, you know? I know it, I know what I'm talking about. Uh, feels like it works type vibes. But what's great tonight is we're gonna we're gonna learn some of the the science. You know, we're gonna we're gonna learn some uh, some people who haven't just like you know, rumbled in the, their way into it in the manner of a bull in a china shop. You know, which is your boy the Don. I was just like, Pfft. there's this thing called the zone. I'm pretty sure I've been in it. You know, feels like everything works in there and everything's just shiny and crystalline and everything just comes out right there's no beat block there's no getting in the way of anything everything just flows that's why they call it flow i guess you know i know that place i know that state i go there occasionally i've been there sometimes and then i don't know how then it's hard to get back there so i was like what if i just get there and then stay there and never leave and that's what we've been doing that's why we have not made a single bad song and not a single bad song not a single wasted beat not a single unfinished idea not a single abandoned concept Everything has been done to the fullest, to the extent of its being unleashed into the world. Move on to the next. Boom, boom. Everybody say Ayo. D-Man says, the flow is a state of mind for me. If my camera is in check, my flow is everlasting. The Defies says, Bay Area. Flow is easy to get into once you know how to stop. Uh, perseverating. Perseverating. That new word, or do I just not know that one? Perseverating. Matthew Coat, there is no trick to flow. You just got to fucking do it and quit bitching out. That's true. Wordex Feet, Toronto, Canada. Removing distractions, very good point. Setting a specific but long enough time to get in a flow. <laughs> Definitely uh, the removal of distractions uh, and uh, friction. Friction, remove all friction. Friction will, will get you out of flow. Can do. You got to remove all friction anywhere there is friction. Anyway, you can discover friction. 
Nuke it. Begun friction. Ram Chompa. I wish I could flow music production, but I hit walls and my beats are mostly whack. How long have you been doing it? You know, I, I do. You know how long I've been doing this? You know, I mean, it's, it's, it's uh, decades, multiple decades over there, over. You know, I'm into the third decade. And it took me a long, 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 long while before stuff clicked. And I worked out how to get out of my way. And that's what it was, you know, that's what it always is. The only thing in your way is it's always you. It's always you. And all the time you, you might be thinking it's something else or someone else or looking for something outside of yourself will be a fool's errand. The errand of a fool, because it's always you. Yeah. Tom's the movie says flow is best maintained with a why in mind. He who has a why can bear anyhow. This is very, very true. That's why meaning uh, beats motivation every time. That's why meaning is the foundation. And uh, you don't need motivation when we have meaning. Discipline equals freedom. It's that. Meaning wave, meaning wave, meaning wave, meaning wave, meaning wave, meaning wave. By Joe. By Joe. All right, baby, let's get that international high cry of cracking. What up, Patrick Smith says, hey. The device is perseverating action thought loops. Josh Greenberg, I feel like if you follow your heart, you'll be in flow forever. Feels like it works. Pissy O'Cat says, flow is a good round of golf. That's a beautiful thing. It's, that's like a little perfect poem in itself there. That, that, that was a very good message, well done. I like that. Yeah. Hey, let's get it. International high five time. If you've never done one of these before, uh, it's beautiful, joyful, fun. And uh, I would, I would, uh, I would urge you when doing it to close your eyes, you know, and uh, visualize yourself in the perfect state of flow, whatever that might mean to you. And uh, it might help you get there. Next time you try to get there. Three, two, one. Hi. Bye. Blessings, one and all. Sisters, let's get into this. Without further ado, I would say, I'd say, let's not bother with any ado. Uh, let's do, 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 da, 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 and get after it. Awakening from the meaning crisis, part two. Make some noise, brothers and sisters.
Welcome back. I'm John Bravecki, and this is a video series on awakening uh, from the meaning crisis. So last time we were beginning our historical examination of uh, the origin of this capacity for meaning making to try and get a clearer picture of what it is. And today I'd like to continue on with that. We were talking about the connections between meaning making, enhancing cognition, <clears throat> altered states of consciousness, wisdom. And we were talking about that in connection with uh, the upper Paleolithic transition in which uh, human beings seem to have gone through this radical change, which was not so much a biological change, but a change in how they were using their cognition. Uh, we talked about important ideas such as cognitive adaptation and psychotechnology. And we talked about how the Upper Paleolithic transition was probably driven by the way shamanism was a set of psychotechnologies for altering states of consciousness to cognitively exact enhanced abilities that trade rituals and initiation rituals and healing rituals had already been uh, creating. <clears throat> and we talked about uh, the, the way the shaman engaged in various uh, disruptive strategies to try and alter their framing of reality uh, because how we frame reality is both uh, the source of our adaptivity, our ability to find patterns, but it is also how we can get locked in how we misframe reality and how we are in need of insight. And we talked about that in connection uh, to, or something like that, the nine dot problem. And that led us to realize that there's kinds of knowing that are independent from the knowing that we capture in our statements of our beliefs. There's knowings about knowing how to do something, what it's like to have a particular perspective and what it's like to know something by identifying with it and participating in it. And I was starting to show you how the shaman altered state of consciousness was also enhancing and altering meaning making, affording insight, and improving uh, the ability of the shaman to help in hunting and healthcare, two things that would radically improve survival. I want to continue now in talking more about that, more about what's going on in shamanism in order to get more explication of this meaning making, wisdom, altered states of consciousness, different kinds of knowing, and how they're all interrelated together. So, typically the, the shaman engages in practices that are putting uh, significant changes in uh, their attention. As we mentioned, there's often significant disruptive strategies, sleep deprivation, sex deprivation, uh, social isolation, the use of psychedelics, uh, extended chanting, all of these uh, dancing, um, all of these things are designed to bring about radical changes in the way in which the brain is operating. Now, part of what a shaman is doing is, I would argue, also getting into the flow state. Uh, so the flow state has become uh, something that is uh, discussed both academically and in the popular culture. It, it was made famous uh, in work uh, by Csikszentmihalyi, uh, his book Flow. The flow experience brought it to the forefront in 1990. So what is the flow experience? Um, so the flow experience is an experience people get into, they often describe it as like being in the zone. So you are involved in a task that is very demanding. In fact, it has a particular structure to it. So these are your skills. 
And this is how demanding the situation is. And the flow state is one in which the demands of the situation just slightly go beyond your skill ability. And so you get what's called here, Csikszentmihalyi often represents this by the flow channel. Right? When my skills can just through, we'll talk about this through like sort of insight and restructuring, when I can just enough exact and extend my skills to meet the demand, so I have to put everything I've got into it, then I get into the flow channel. If my skills exceed the demands, I fall into boredom. If my demands exceed the skills, uh, all right, I fall into anxiety. Now, of course, the thing about you is you're very good at learning in situation. So you need a, a kind of context in which uh, your skills, as your skills improve, your environment also improves. So um, one of the things we've created in our culture if we, we have created uh, flow induction machines um, and because what, what those uh, machines have are a situation where your skills are constantly improving and the, de the demands of the environment are constantly improving. And these skill induction, these, sorry, these flow induction machines have other properties uh, that are very important in them. There's a very tight feedback between what you do and how the environment responds. You, you're getting very clear information and Failure matters, it's like at least symbolically because you can die. And of course, some of you are probably realizing that I'm talking about video games. Uh, video games are one of the uh, most reliable ways of inducing the flow state in people. In fact, part of the reasons why video games are addictive and they're now being considered to be a bona fide addiction by the World Health Organization is precisely because they engender the flow state. Addictions, and we'll talk about this later when we talk about addictions. Addictions run off machinery that is evolutionarily adaptive. That's why it's compelling. So, the flow state. The flow state. The flow state. What are other things that people do to get into the flow state? They play jazz. They do martial arts. I'm a martial artist, right? One that's particularly interesting because there's no other explanation for why people do it other than they get into the flow state is rock climbing because rock climbing otherwise would be like it's it's like some sort of torture from Greek mythology, right? You present it like here's a rock face. What I want you to do is I want you to go up that. It's going to be really physically demanding. It's going to hurt you. You might fall to you and harm yourself. And once you get to the top, you come back down. It would seem like a, a, a torturous thing to do. Well, we know why people rock climb. They rock climb because they get into the flow state. And the flow state is deeply, deeply positive for people. It's not the same thing as physical pleasure. In fact, the flow state is much more connected to meaning in life. In fact, the more often you get into the flow state, the more likely you will rate your, your life as meaningful. The more, the more you will experience well-being. And what's interesting also about the flow state, and remember we're doing this because I'm talking about that shamanism is probably a practice for practicing getting into the flow state, so remember that, right? The thing about the flow state, it's a universal. People across cultures, socioeconomic groups, genders, language, environments, age groups, report being able to get into the flow state, and they describe it in detail almost exactly the same way. That's a universal. Universals are important in cognitive science. You pay attention to the universals because they give you profound insight into the machinery. What's it like to be in the flow state? 
Well, when you're in the flow state, right, you feel like you're deeply at one with things. So for example, I'm a martial artist and when I'm sparring, it's like my sense of connectedness to my opponent is really enhanced. And I'm really at one. And that comes with it, this kind of spontaneity. So when, it, when, 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 a, when a strike is coming toward, my hand is just there. I don't sort of raise your hand now, John. It flows out of me, hence the word, right? And the block is there. The hockey player, the goalie, just puts out his hand, the glove hand, and the puck is there. There's this tremendous sense of at one And then closely allied to it is this, right? At one level, you know, like the shaman dancing or chanting, that there's tremendous metabolic energy at work, effort. You're making, at one level, all this effort, but at another level, it feels effortless. That's this spontaneity. Again, it just seems to flow from you. Your sense of time is passing differently. Your sense of self is being dramatically altered. So when people are in the flow state, right, their self, a kind of self-consciousness disappears. That, that self-consciousness, you know, we carry around that self-consciousness that, that's always doing this, this sort of thing. It's constantly sort of doing our autobiography, how's my day going, how am I doing, who am I, what am I doing, blah, blah. And it's also checking, how do I, image management, how do I look, what are people thinking of me, how am I doing, am I under threat? All of that nattering and, oh, am I failing, how am I, I knew, and, and that, you know, of course, and that can get out of hand. And we'll, like, when you're in depression, you ruminate on all that stuff and it overwhelms you. But we all carry that burden around, it's taxing, and the thing in the flow state, it's gone. Because there's no space for all of that, because you're so, right, engrossed in the task. And the other thing about the flow state is it's super salient. Like, it's like, it's like, like, it's like the kind of brightness and vividness you get in a video game. The world seems more intense. People really like this experience. And not only do they like it, it seems to be where they do their best work. So the flow experience is an optimal experience in two ways. Many people regard it as the best experiences they can have, but it's also where they're doing their very best at what they want to excel in. That's why it's so motivating to get into the flow state. So, why is the flow state so good? So, this year, 2018, I, I, I published some work with Adrian Herabenet and Leo Ferraro, in which we tried to argue for what the cognitive mechanisms are in the flow state. See, Chip Sentmahai tells you the environmental conditions, what you need in order to get into the flow state. You need skills and demand to be matched. You need there to be very tight coupling between you and the environment, like in the video game. You need very clear information, it can't be ambiguous or vague. And failure has to matter. It has to be costly to you in some fashion specified all of that. 
He also specified the kind of training that helps enhance you get to get you into the flow state. And think about this, think about what I said last time, and we're going to explore this more. Training in mindfulness, the more people have training in mindfulness, increases their capacity to get into the flow state. Now, can we come up with a unified explanation for all of this? I think we can. Both for the phenomenology, why we're experiencing what we're experiencing when we're in the flow state, and why is it improving your cognition? And therefore, why would the shaman be enhancing their cognition by getting into something like the flow state through their ritual practices? Okay, so think about the rock climber. Okay, the rock climber is climbing. Remember we talked about how you frame and find patterns last time. Remember the nine dot problem, right? And that these patterns aren't just patterns in your mind, they're patterns in how, knowing how to make sense of things. So you're rock climbing, and if that breaks down, you impasse, you're stuck. And I don't mean just cognitively, you're physically stuck. Now, if you want to be a good rock climber, what you have to do is you have to break that framing. You have to train yourself to break the frame restructure, change what you're finding relevant and salient, and then change yourself to fit that, and then you refit yourself to the rock face. You refit yourself to the rock face. Then you have to do it again. And then you have to do it again. And then you have to do it again. Or the jazz musician. The jazz musician is playing, they pick up on a pattern, they play with it but they can't stay with it too long. What do they have to do? They have to shift, they have to restructure, they have to shift into a new pattern and then play with that, but they can't stay with it too long. They have to pick up on it, they have to refresh again and again and again and again and again. Do you see what's going on with the rock climber, the jazz musician, the martial artist, is this idea of a cascade of insights. You're having an insight that's leading to another insight it's leading to another insight, right? It's priming. So, you know when you have like an insight, you have like, aha, and you get that sort of burst of energy, and it's like a flash. That's why we put a light bulb over somebody's head when we want to show them having an insight. It's like that flash. Now imagine if I took that aha, and I extended it, aha. That's the flow state. It's an insight cascade. So the more you flow, the more you're training your ability for insight in direct interacting with your environment. Now the trouble of course with the video game is you, the, the environment isn't a real world. But in the shaman's world, of course, the shaman's flowing in the real world, the real social world, the real ecological world. But there's something more. It's not just an insight cascade that's going on in flow. That, that in and of itself would be great. There's something else going. This has to do with your capacity for implicit learning. Now notice what's happening here. Notice that although even I'm doing the history, I'm always also doing the cog side. Because while I'll be emphasizing the history, the historical account, I'm starting to build what I need to give you the structural functional account. Okay, so implicit learning. This goes back to work done in the 60s by Arthur Reber and a whole bunch of other pe people. 
So what Reber was doing is he, he was really trying to understand how people learn language. What he was doing was he was generating an arbitrary set of rules, completely arbitrary, just make them up on the spot, set of rules for how you can link strings of letters and or numbers together. Like the rule might be you can't have more than three vowels in a row, or you have to have two consonants, and then you generate, you generate letter strings. Eight, nine long. These are so long that you can't sort of easily hold them in your working memory. And then this is what you do. You take, you generate, you can generate an indefinite number. You generate a huge number of these strings and you just show them to people. Here's one, here's one, here's one, here's one, here's one, here's one. Okay, that's the first part of the experiment. Then you do the second part of the experiment. Now you generate a whole bunch of strings, but two kinds. One set of strings is generated by that artificial set of rules and so follows the same rules as the first string, first set, and then the second set is generated by a completely different set of rules. Okay, And what you do is you mix up the first and the second together. And this is the task you give people. Can you tell me the strings that belong with the strings you saw before? There you go. Now, Reber originally thought what would happen is people would because it, it seems like so random. What he found was people score well, well above chance consistently on this. People can tell you, oh no, those strings, yeah, those belong with the, the old ones. No, that one doesn't. That one does, that one doesn't. Now here's what's interesting. You now ask people, why? How do you know that? And they'll give you one of two answers. They'll say, I don't know. I don't know. I just, I just feel it. This is, ooh. Or they say, they give you some explanation. They'll give you some rule or procedure they're using, and here's what we know. They're deceiving themselves or lying to you because that rule that they're using wouldn't actually predict their success. So you are picking up, you have this tremendous capacity outside your conscious awareness right, to pick up on very complex patterns in your environment. And you say, okay, why? What does this have to do with shamanism? Well, hang on, because we talked about the shaman picking up on patterns last time. Let's go back to this. Let me talk about an experiment that's really interesting. So, there was some work done on this idea, you know, that people have psychic abilities, and there's the feeling of being stared at. People can tell when they're being stared at. People reliably report that they think, oh, I knew somebody was staring at me. I could just feel it in the back of my neck and stuff like that. And so they ran an experiment in which they did the following. They'd have somebody in, in a room, blindfolded, earplugged, they can't sense anything, nobody's allowed to wear perfumes or anything. That person can't see or hear or feel, and they're just standing in the room. Unbeknownst to that person, and in, people would come in and stare at them. And then they had to report if the person at the center of the room had to report if they were being stared at or not. And people were reporting this well above chance. They were saying, I think I'm being stared at somebody there. And of course, first of all, it's ooh, right. But then, it turned out that if you made a slight change to that experiment, it wouldn't replicate. So what was going on? You bring people into the room, and they say, I think I'm being stared at, and the researchers would tell them if they were correct or not. They would say, you're right, or you're wrong. 
So what? You say, so what? Well, here's the thing. The researchers thought they were introducing people, the viewers, into the room randomly. But it turns out they weren't introducing them randomly, because you know what's very hard for you to do? Random stuff. They were actually introducing people as viewers in a complex pattern. And the person that was blindfolded and earplugged was implicitly learning the pattern because they were getting feedback. If you take the feedback away, if you don't tell them whenever they say, I'm being stared at or not, if you don't tell them whether they're right or wrong, their performance drops to chance. See, a lot of what looks like psychic abilities are your ability to pick up implicitly on complex patterns in the environment without being aware of it. So, Hogarth, in his book on educating intuition, made a really, really cool, really cool claim. Makes a very good argument, in fact, I think, for this. He says that what we call intuition is a real thing, but there isn't anything sort of magical about it, in the, like the psychics, say, or something like that. Your intuition is the result of your implicit learning. You pick up on all kinds of complex patterns, not knowing how you have done that, but you get an ability to detect patterns, and you don't know how. That's why your intuition feels the way it does. You just sort of know. Like, you know things, you're doing it all the time. To use a famous example from Dreyfus, you know how far to stand from somebody. And what angle to stand, like, where you should stand, how close you should stand, what angle you should stand, how, as the conversation or the context changes, you're allowed to move closer or farther away, what angles you're allowed to be at. But if I were to ask you to tell me how you do that, you wouldn't know. You would just say, I know how to do it. And yet, when people don't know how to do it, it creeps you out. It creeps you out. Okay, so intuition. Now, Hogarth points out, and this is something very common, right? Hogarth points out that, you know, we have two different terms and we don't realize we're talking about the same thing. We have intuition when we think it's going well, that implicit learning, but we also have bias and prejudice for when we think that implicit learning goes bad. The bigot has got intuitions about races that are wrong. Now why is, how is it that implicit learning goes wrong? Well, here's the thing. You have some complex pattern in the environment, right? And your implicit learning picks up on it. The problem is there's two kinds of patterns in your environment. There's correlations, there's correlation patterns and causal patterns. So what do I mean by that? Correlations is what any two things are related to each other. So. Let me give you an example of a couple of correlations that you shouldn't confuse with causation. There is a correlation between how large your wedding is and how long your marriage will last. If you have a bigger wedding, your marriage will last longer. Now, you would be a fool to therefore think you should have the biggest possible wedding. Because the reason why bigger weddings predict longer marriages is not because bigger weddings cause longer marriages, is because, right, they're only correlated, it's because bigger weddings reflect a bigger social network, more financial resources, and having a bigger social network for the couple, having more financial resources, actually does cause a marriage to last longer. 
Here's another one. So I, I'm old enough, right? And I was brought up in a, a religious household that I was, you know, when prayer was taken out of the schools. And of course, um, people were very upset about that. Taking, look at crime is going up as we've taken prayer out of the schools and things like that. By the way, crime hasn't been going up. Read some of Steven Pinker's work. Um, but let's say it was. That's only a correlation. Because here's another correlation. We know that greenhouse gases have been going up steadily. And that's part of the environmental crisis we're going to talk about. You know what has been also consistently going down for the exact same time period? Caribbean piracy. Having pirates in the Caribbean and wooden ships with cannons and stuff. As that went down, greenhouse gases went up. Now, I hope none of you think that we could solve global warming by bringing back piracy. Okay? So, there are many things that are, there are many patterns in the world that are illusory because they're only correlational, they're not causal. See, the bigot has picked up on correlational patterns, not causal patterns. So, what you want to do is you want to train your implicit learning to pick up on the causal patterns that are real rather than the correlational patterns that are illusory. Now here's what you can't do. You can't tell people to look for patterns explicitly. Go back to Reber's experiment. If you put people into that experiment where they're looking at the letter strings and you tell them explicitly what they're supposed to do, try and figure out the rules. Consciously, deliberately try to figure out the rules. Their performance doesn't get better. It gets worse. Okay? And Hogarth notes this in his book on educating intuition. We can't replace implicit learning with explicit learning because it is precisely by being implicit that it works so well. What can we do explicitly then? What we can do is set up the right context, the right environmental factors, so that my implicit learning machine will tend more likely to get onto causal patterns rather than correlational patterns. So I'll get good intuition rather than bad intuition. How do you do that? Well, Hogarth says the way you would do this is the way you do science. You want to control the context, right? Because what science is, and you know, there's a lot of uh, science. Look, look, science is a way of distinguishing causal patterns from correlational patterns. You set up an environmental situation so that you can distinguish the causal patterns from the correlational patterns. What do you do? Well, in an experiment, first of all, I make sure that everything is very clearly measured. I get very clear information. Very clear information. I make sure, I'm looking to see that, right, that the change in one variable is closely followed by a change in another variable. So, I change your drug dosage, do your symptoms get better? Right. So I look for clear information, I look for clear feedback, and in science, failure matters. You test a hypothesis, and disconfirmation has to be possible. Failure matters. Now notice this. What Hogarth says is, well, what I want to do is I want to, I want to put you into an implicit learning situation where you get clear feedback, like you do in science, where there is a tight coupling between what you do and how the environment responds, and where error really matters, like in science. And he says what we should do is we should try and do implicit learning in those kinds of contexts. 
Well, here's what myself and my colleagues argued. Those three criteria that will turn your intuition into good implicit learning are exactly the conditions for flow. Clear information, tightly coupled feedback, and error matters. The rock climber is looking for needs clear information, tightly coupled feedback, and error really matters. That context really means that there's a much greater chance that their implicit learning machinery is going to pick up on causal patterns rather than correlational ones. So, notice what we've got going on here. The shaman is getting into the flow state. He's developing all these techniques for getting into this deeply immersive, comprehensive flow state. And they're getting an insight cascade. And they're also getting enhanced. Implicit learning. Picking up on very complex, real complex patterns. Now this is intuitive. They don't know how they're doing it. Now here's what's interesting too. These two are reinforcing each other. Because the insight gets your cognition to explore for new patterns, and then the implicit learning picks up those new patterns. And then those new patterns enhance your ability to restructure, and then, right, you keep exploring for new patterns, acquiring the new patterns through implicit learning, and you keep ratcheting your skills up. Getting into the flow state is deeply, deeply enhancing of your cognition. Somebody who's an expert at getting into the flow state is going to be an individual you want to have around. Now that individual is going to have some really serious challenges facing them. They don't know how they're getting a lot of the information they're getting. They don't know why they're so insightful. They don't, and they're, and they're experiencing this radical at one mint with the world, this loss of sense of self, when they're enacting the animal, right? You have to understand these insights aren't verbal insights. Like in the nine dot problem, it's not words, it's not beliefs. It's getting an insight in how the deer moves. It's getting an insight, an intuitive insight in how to talk to this person, to trigger the placebo effect, to help them to heal right now. So, getting into the flow state, notice what's going on here. Notice you're getting something that's almost like a mystical experience. It's a, a powerful altered state of consciousness. It's enhancing your cognitive processing. And the shaman is making meaning. They're singing, they're dancing, they're telling stories, they're altering people's sense of what matters, they're altering people's sense of identity, they're healing and transforming people. What does that mean? Why would that have powered the upper Paleolithic transition? Well, first of all, this is enhancing your cognition. But, and this is goes towards the work of Michael Winkleman and also Matt Rosano. What's happening in this state is your brain is learning to get areas to talk to each other that normally don't talk to each other. This is especially the case if you've gone through a massive disruption strategy fasting, social isolation, taking psychedelics. Because what 
If you look at a brain scan of somebody who's having a psychedelic experience, areas of the brain that do not, not, normally do not talk to each other are talking to each other now. Now, if I were just to do that to you, if I was just to get areas to talk to each other, you'd experience that as noise. But if you've got enhanced insight and enhanced intuition, those areas are now talking to each other and you can bridge between them. You can connect them. And now this is an ability you take for granted. You think it is just the normal part of your cognition. This is your capacity for metaphor. The word metaphor is itself a metaphor. It means to bridge, to carry over, to connect things that are normally not connected. And what you need to understand is how pervasive metaphor is. I showed you a little bit last time, the idea of a project. But I want you to reflect now, and notice the word reflect is a metaphor, on how your thought and language is filled with, a, with metaphor. By the way, that was a metaphor. I'll, I'll say, for example, do you see what I'm saying? Do you get my point? Do you comprehend it? Can you grasp it? Do you understand it? These are all metaphors. I'm about halfway through this talk. I hope it's not too hard for you. Do you see? It's pervasive and profound. All of your cognition, this is work done by Lakoff and others, I have some criticisms of some of their theory, but the idea that your cognition is filled and functions through metaphorical enhancement, that's just, I think, the case. Now, why is metaphor so powerful? Because metaphor is how you make creative connections between ideas. Metaphorical cognition as, is at the heart of both science and art. When the shamans are enhancing this machinery, they're connecting areas of the brain that normally don't talk to each other and affording a massive enhancement in metaphor. One of the ways in which your cognition and meaning and altered states of consciousness come together is in how your mind, your embodied mind, is generating metaphor in order to make insightful connections. There's a deep connection between how insightful, how good a problem solver you are, and your capacity for metaphorical thought. That's why when somebody is facing a problem and they need to restructure how they think about it, we tell them to use an analogy, to think of a metaphor. So, this is the point. The shaman is developing psychotechnologies for altering the state of consciousness to get into the flow state and that flow state is already making them more insightful and more intuitively powerful, but it is also making them generators of metaphor. Literally providing people 
with the forms of thought that will allow them to connect ideas, such that making inscriptions on a piece of bone can track the moon. Carving this figurine can connect me to ideas of fertility. So we're seeing a lot of the themes that we're going to develop coming to the fore here. How much, right? The shaman is weaving together, enhancing cognition, altered states of consciousness, and improving our capacity for making sense of the world, literally making more meaning. If you have, if you're a hunter-gatherer group and you have a shaman, you're gonna outcompete groups that don't. There's a reason why it's universal. There's a reason why the flow phenomena is universal. Because this exacts some of our most basic machinery, enhances it in a powerful way. Now, the shamans have a very interesting kind of experience. They go through this transformation. They often experience what's called soul flight, as if they've gone to another world and they're flying through it. This is the origin. I mean, think of how we've come to this. But this is the origin of getting high. And the shaman does this. The shaman experiences themselves as if they're flying above the world. Why? Why would the brain generate that? Well, think about this. The shaman is getting a much more comprehensive grasp of more complex patterns, but they're experiencing it mostly intuitively and metaphorically. Where are you when you get a bigger picture of things? You're above them. How do we often explain this even to ourselves metaphorically? Right? You have oversight. Somebody who is in charge of things has oversight of them or has supervision of them. Do you see that? Those are metaphors. Those are metaphors that are little whispers, little echoes of shamanic flight, flying over things, getting, a, getting an intuitive, insightful grasp that is expressed metaphorically of a deeper connection to the world. We're going to pick up on all of these themes as we investigate more the machinery of meaning making. But I need to move forward now. So I want to talk about another revolution. This was the Upper Paleolithic transition. This is where the meaning-making machinery, the altered, altering consciousness, the self-transcending, the flying above, the cultivation of wisdom, associated with a lot of things that we consider spiritual and religious. You see them all together. That's the Upper Paleolithic transition. Now there's another important revolution that, that takes place around 10,000 BCE. 
That's the Neolithic Revolution. You get the invention of agriculture. Agriculture is important because it adds to this machinery in an important way because now individuals are part of complex societies. And for the first time, because of agriculture, people start to stay in one place for significant amounts of time. So their relationship to the environment, to each other, because they're living with large groups of strangers now, and to themselves, radically changes. That goes through a very long period of development. This world, right, of course, then becomes the ancient world. As stone gives way to metal. And we get the Bronze Age, the period of the first great civilizations, Mesopotamia, in Egypt. And there's a transformation that's happened in the way people are experiencing their, their world. P human beings are still doing everything we've been talking about. They still have rituals. Of course, they've developed, they've been into very sophisticated, complex systems. They're still engaging in altered states of consciousness. And that world is pervasive for a very long time. But our connection to it is, is, is very odd. So if I were to ask you if you've read anything from the Bronze Age, chances are you haven't. Have you read the Epic of Gilgamesh? No, probably not. Right. Have you read any Egyptian mythology? Probably not. Why? The Sumerian, Mesopotamian, and Egyptian civilizations are titanically important, long-lasting. But notice, if I ask you if you've read parts of the Bible, or perhaps Plato, or perhaps some of the Buddha, or Confucius, chances are you, you have read some of them. You somehow feel that those people are relevant to you in a way that people from the Bronze Age aren't. And why? There seems to have been another great change, comparable to the change of the Upper Paleolithic transition. Again, whether it's a one shot, or more continuum. Again, I'm, I'm, I don't need to decide that. And I, I'm not confident that the debates around that are actually very fruitful. But Carl Jaspers talked about the axial age. Karen Armstrong has made famous that in a recent book. So around 800 BCE, Around 300 BC, there's this great change, such that you will read, connect to, find relevant authors, systems of thought, ways of being from that time period, and yet, back here, where the Bronze Age ends, you don't read this stuff, in fact, or at least most of you don't, you don't find it relevant, you don't identify with it. Something happened here 
that is formative of us. Just like the Upper Paleolithic transition was formative of us as human beings, the Axial Age is formative of us as Western civilization or at least world civilization. Because it's not just in the West that the actual revolution occurs. It also occurs in India and China. Now, what happened? Why this change? Well, there's a bunch of stuff that happens. We don't quite know. There's a lot of discussion about it. But we know the Bronze Age collapses. There's some good books by this, uh, a book by Drews, there's a book by Klein, uh, 1177 BCE. Right. Different discussions about why it collapsed. Was it a change in chariot warfare? Is it general systems failure? Is it a combination of change in military technology? Don't know. Doesn't matter for our purposes. What we know is that the, it's, it's a collapse. Now you need, to, you need to grasp the gravity of this collapse. This is the greatest collapse in civilization the world has ever known. The fall of the Roman Empire is nowhere near as devastating as this. More cities go out of existence at this time, the Bronze Age collapse, than any other time in recorded history. More cultures disappear. Greatest loss of literacy, greatest collapse of trade. This is the closest thing the world has actually experienced to apocalypse. The end of the world. What happens here is a dark age. So you have, <coughs> before this, you have these like the Egyptian Empire, these titanic dinosaur empires, huge and powerful, lasting for centuries, cultures that last millennia, and then they disappear. And what you find, right, is something like when the dinosaurs went extinct. When the dinosaurs went extinct, the little mammals that had been sort of scurrying about, you know, they start to evolve. What you have once these dinosaur empires pass out of existence in the Dark Age, is you have a lot of little small-scale societies, people barely hanging on. It's a very tough time. Another time in which there's a demand made on cognition to adapt. Remember the bottleneck in Africa preceding the Upper Paleolithic transition? Here's another bottleneck kind of event. So, so, people are more willing to experiment, to try new things than they have before in the past. They're willing to try new forms of social organization. But importantly, they start to invent new things. And they start to invent new psychotechnologies. Remember last time we talked about what a psychotechnology is. It's a standardized way of doing information processing that improves and enhances your cognition by linking brains together. Your brain to your own, future states of your brain, your brain to other people's brains. Something happens here in one of the areas that was hit hardest by the Bronze Age collapse. 
the area Palestine, Palestine and what's modern Israel, Jordan, places like that, used to be the old, uh, referred to as the land of Canaan. What seems to be invented here is a new kind of literacy. Remember we talked about literacy as a powerful psychotechnology. Now the Bronze Age world had literacy. The Egyptians had hieroglyphics famously. The Sumerians had cuneiform. Now the thing about those forms of literacy is they're very difficult to learn. You have to go to school for a very, very long time. And your job, your, you, could, your jo you could have this job in the ancient world. This was your job, to be literate. It's called being a scribe. That's where we get words like scribble from. All you were, your, your entire job was you were literate because it was a tough thing to be literate and it was a very valuable thing and it was a rare thing because literacy was hard when it's ideographic. So I have some ideograms tattooed here, right? This means meditate. What gets invented here is alphabetic literacy. Sort of, it seems to be invented in Canaan and then it's taken up by the Phoenicians and then they take it to the Greeks. And then the, the, the proto, the, the Canaanite alphabet merges imperceptibly into archaic Hebrew and then gets taken into Hebrew. That's gonna be important these two groups of people are going to be very important. Now why is alphabetic literacy so powerful? It's much more learnable. It's a more effective and efficient psychotechnology. Remember when I said last time how much literacy enhances your cognition? If I give you alphabetic literacy, you can learn it much more powerfully and more people can learn it. So your ability to learn and access and share with others the benefits of literacy gets magnified tremendously. So the amount of people, the number of people that can be literate expands. Now, literacy does something very, very important. Really, really interesting in its effect on your sense of self and your sense of cognition. As I noted before, when I can write things down, I can come back to my thoughts later and I can reflect on them. I start to become more aware of my own thoughts and notice something else I can do. I can correct my thinking more readily because I, I don't have to rely on it being held in my mind. I can put it, I can externalize it, I can put it out there, I can reflect on it, I can correct it. I can store it independent of my memory. So I start to get a capacity for what Robert Bella calls second order thinking. Now, we all have metacognition, we'll talk about this later. Metacognition is your awareness of your own mind. I can ask you right now, what are you thinking? You can come become aware of it. Do you have a good memory? Yes or no? You'll say, I do or I don't. That's metacognition, it's your knowledge and awareness of your own mind. We all have metacognition. 
But one of the things you can do with literacy, alphabetic literacy, is you can internalize literacy into your metacognition. So notice I'm becoming aware of my own cognition here. I can reflect on it, I can correct it, I can enhance it, I can store it, I can share it with others. Second order thinking is when you internalize a psychotechnology into your metacognition and it improves your capacity to critically examine your own thinking and correct your own thinking. Second order thinking starts to emerge because of alphabetic literacy. What else is being invented at this time? Well, you've got lots of armies moving around in this period because what's happening is empires are being rebuilt, famously the Assyrian Empire in the Middle East. Mobile armies are needed. And so there's an invention here that's really important that we also take for granted. Right? It's the stuff we carry around. Well, we used to carry around. We don't carry around anymore. We'll talk about that. It's money. Coinage. Coinage is invented. Now, coinage, coinage is obviously a physical technology in one sense. I carry coins around, although the sense in which money is now physical is very, very tenuous. Because most of us don't carry anything physical anymore. Money is just a purely symbolic thing. And that's the point. Money teaches you to think in an abstract symbol system. You start thinking in abstract symbol systems. And it also teaches you something else. Numeracy. You have to start thinking mathematically, at least arithmetically. So you now have abstract, symbolic, logically rigorous thought being trained. It's being trained for practical purposes, but it's being trained. It's ready for exaptation. The alphabetic literacy is training this second-order thinking. It's ready for acceptation. You say, okay, I get it. Psychotechnologies are training skills that are ready for acceptation. Well, bring that second-order thinking and bring that abstract, symbolic thought, more logically rigorous together, and what are you going to start getting? You're going to start getting people having a very, right, clear sense of two things about their cognition. One thing is how much they can correct their cognition, how much they can transcend themselves, self-transcendence. It enhances their sense of self-transcendence. But what's it also doing? It's also enhancing their awareness of how self-deceptive they are. how much error is in their cognition. And they previously couldn't be aware of it, but now with second-order thinking, with literacy and abstract symbolic thought and numeracy, they can become aware of this. Now you put those two together, tremendous capacity for self-correction and tremendous capacity for self-deception. And human beings start to do something very differently. They start to change their sense of self and their sense of the world they start to realize a more personal sense of responsibility, which of course is going to change how people think morally about themselves.
What do I mean? Let me give you a specific example. If you look before this time, people think of chaos and warfare and violence as just part of the natural order. But after the Axial Revolution, with the advent of second order thinking, with this increased awareness of self-transcendence and self-correction, people start to realize, no, 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 we're responsible for the violence. We're responsible for the chaos. Not just in some vague sense, but it's the way my mind makes meaning. That's why the Dhammapada begins, the mind is the chief thing. People understand, they understand, the, like, the, like you see this in the Dhammapada, there is no enemy greater than your own mind, but there is no ally greater than your own mind. People start understanding this double-edged sword of their own cognition. Undisciplined leads to violence through self-deception and illusion. But discipline through self-correction and self-transcendence leads to wisdom and the ability to reduce the violence. So in our next meeting together, we're going to talk more about this actual revolution and this sense that people had of their capacity for self-transcendence and their capacity for self-deception and how that changed radically their sense of self and their sense of the world and how that changed what meaning meant and what wisdom meant. Thank you for your time. Wave autonomous zone, make some noise. Vakey John, here at the dot. Awakening from the meaning of the lie, the meaning crisis part two. Oh, awakening from the meaning crisis part two. Meaning crisis and chill here on the meaning stream. Yeah, Rumpa Chumpa says, yeah, this is that great content. Right? Right, this is dope. I think we're going to do a double bill next week. Because I want more. One more. Yeah, well, let's see. Maybe, maybe we'll see. Maybe it's good in small. I don't know. I'll think about it. Double bill could be cool. D. Lars says this could easily go on for another two hours. Yeah. Yeah. Good. You could binge this. You could binge this vibe. Might do a big one next week. Boom, boom. How'd that go for you guys? How'd that feel for you? You enjoy that? Word XP says, what was the biggest takeaway for you guys? Robert Chomper says, thank you so much. Hey, thank you. Thank you. Walking Mall Post says, fan, Maz, tech, idea. Oh, let me put the chat on screen. Silly me. Make some noise. Do, 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 do. Let me put the chat on screen. For some reason, last week, uh, it didn't remember, it didn't have the chat. It was a shame because I wanted to look at the chat. I, you know, I wanted to check back the chat, see what people were saying during the thing. Because I was in the zone. But I couldn't see. So it didn't say the chat. Boom. <laughs> Daniel Pessy says, metaphor creates meaning. Uh, is that your takeaway? Snuffleupagus says, this is one of my favorite things you've done. 
Hey. Hey. Dilas is the power of meaning. Darian Bailey says, more. Honey Badger TV says, invest in yourself and the commodities in line with your upward mobility. <laughs> Twice. Orsivian, Orsivan, Shaman, healing people with the placebo effect. Wow. Working on power says the concept of psychotechnology is a defined thing. It really helped. It really helped me understand meaning wave and myself at the same time. Also, flow. Andrew Kleiner says monotheism is a huge deal. Big conceptual shift, and I don't mean necessarily metaphysically. Yo, you wait. Whoa, we going so deep. We going so you wait till next week. Ah. Darian Byler says, my, my takeaway was don't disregard your ancestors and mythology. How many people here want to right now go off and read a bunch of Bronze Age stories? Or in my case, go off and find some Bronze Age stories and turn them into songs. Who wants to make some Bronze Age meaning wave? Boom. Orsivian. <laughs> I don't want to read it. Orsivian. Bad idea. It makes it balanced in my eye, I think. I, I like the eye on either side of the V. It's uh, It adds to the vibes, I think. Something like that. d says, looking forward to a double MC episode. Maybe we do a double next week? Double Bill. I just talk less at the beginning. Easy. Because they're quite short, you know? They're like uh, 55 minutes to an hour each, so we could squeeze in a couple. Is that what she said? No. Luke Ford, the Papyrus of Annie. Richard Young, how about Iliad Wave? That's actually on my list. That's actually going to be happening. Cindy Bailey says Bronze Wave. I mean, yeah, there's... Um, it will be happening. It is coming. It is coming. And uh, I've worked out a couple of... Uh, I've been slightly... I've been tooling my efficiency, you know. Um, currently, I'm working on the album that's coming out in February. And uh, I'm about to start on the album that's coming out in March. Uh, so I've kind of gotten ahead and I have managed to refine things to a point where I've sped up a little bit. Because there's so much that needs to be done. There's so much to do. There's so many incredible things to create, you know. Rumpa Jumper says, I can't wait for the new golden age to arrive. Uh, we're in it. It's, it's already started. Can't you feel it? Can you feel it? Look at this. Look what's going on right now. I can't wait for the new golden age to arrive, he says, whilst watching uh, a live stream, an international broadcast of somebody soundtracking an incredible lecture uh, live across space and time while hanging out chatting with the homies. Come on! Come on! I mean, what would a golden age look like to you? You know, this is definitely the beginnings of the golden age. Feels pretty golden to me. Shit. Think about them bronze motherfuckers getting it. Oh my goodness. Think about those fools pl plunged into darkness. Yo, yo, yo. Shit. <laughs> God bless. What key are we in? Someone tell me what key we're in. Does anyone know? Ah, uh, yeah, there we are. Lush. Lushness and lushosity. Lushness and lushosity. 
Hey, God bless. Thank you, everyone. Uh, thank you, Andrew Clunis, uh, for the support. A golden age dawns. Plus five gold and plus five culture and plus five science. And plus five faith every turn. Quite. And uh, thank you, Lucid Music, for the 1111 super chat back there. God bless. Nick Moyoga says, we are the alpha being. Ain't that the truth, Roof? Hey. Andrew Pullman, it says, key is be mighty. <laughs> Vilas says, all of you that enjoy uh, Viveki, Pajou, and Peterson, go check out Paul van der Klee. Uh, he does lots of extra commentary on the Meaning Crisis. I haven't actually listened to his Meaning Crisis commentary, but I like Paul van der Klee. I've checked out a bunch of his stuff. Uh, Shouts out to Paul van der Klee. Pium, pium. So you know, last week I was like, we'll do one or more of those and see how it goes and see if we do any more. I think it's been decided we like this, right? We like this format. Uh, we like this Meaning Crisis lecture series. We like this Canadian fellow, uh, Johnny V. Uh, right? Are we, are we decided on this? Anna Liz, Nick Mayoga. Says, uh, Nick Mayoga says, this made me realize how much I have newly internalized because of a solid year of listening to Meaning Wave. It is so much that's a good point because we've done we've got a lot of stuff now right we've got a lot of uh, stuff if you don't make stuff through those we've got a lot of stuff and this stuff has got a lot of stuff in it I mean we were early on into my plans we're early on into the journey we're uh, but uh we have we have done quite a lot still and that's very exciting very exciting uh, when you consider um what we have coming up and oh my goodness basically what we're gonna have because here's the thing because if you listen to meaning wave uh you internalize it and uh you know you uh it's a lot right it's a lot uh you take in a great great deal you assimilate a great great deal and you assimilate uh say you assimilate one thing you can then assimilate the next thing in a much more powerful fashion because you understand it better you've got the foundation and so on and so forth so by the end of 2021 uh due to the schedule we have planned and the things that are coming out and the messages and the ideas and the the knowledge that will be being uh, integrated into the meaning wave universe over the course of the next 12 months this time next year brothers and sisters the creatures we will be yeah. Regular father said, I listened to an old live set on the first biblical lecture. I could go for more of that. Ha ha ha. We're doing the whole biblical lecture series. Uh, we're going to be doing the whole thing. We're going to be doing that on a weekly basis as well, kicking off very soon. Uh, I'll let you know when that's starting. Uh, but yeah, we've got all those to do, and I'm very excited to get into doing that. Uh, 
Um, I had technological issues that were stopping me doing those, but now not. Now, you know, we've, we've, things have been going very well technologically. Uh, so we're about to do those things. That's very exciting. Uh, Rare Aesthetic 86 says, Preach! The acceleration I have noticed in myself is stunning. That 13-hour stream was off the hook. Hey, thanks. That was fun, right? WetXP says, How could the meaning stream not stream the meaning crisis series? It was inevitable. Yeah. Sweet inevitability. Nick Mayaga says, it's like a dozen quotes are also thrown at you for every thought you observe. Have you noticed? Isn't that great? It's great, right? Because I always remember I used to talk about the idea of uh, assembling your shoulder angels. You know, you remember in the old uh, Tom and Jerry or whatever cartoons, those sort of cartoons, like if someone was about to see something bad, they'd get like a little devil would pop up and a little, uh, a little angel would pop up, you know, and they'd be advising them. And uh, I was like, you know, you could get your own troop of shoulder angels. You know, all you have to do is like, you know, think of a bunch of people that that are the sort of people you'd want giving you advice and then just listen to them a lot. You know, listen to their podcasts, read their books, etc. You know, get your own army of shoulder angels. One of my my early ones was Jocko. Obviously, I had Jocko and Jordan and a few people there chilling out there on the shoulder. You know, but then you make all these meaning wave records and then you, you imbue the meaning wave. And what happens is you've got all of them. And they're all there and they just pop out whenever anything, you know, they've observed something or told you about something previously, it'll pop out. Jocko will suddenly appear talking about a thing. Ah, oh, yeah, 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 this thing here. See this situation? And then they'll intertwine. And, and then at some point you have situations where you can contrast them and one person might be giving you one bit of advice and another one, it might be slightly different, you know? And uh, that's, a, that's a wonderful thing, isn't it? By Jove it is. That's, uh, that's grace, that is. Hey, hey. D-Man says I got one Akira on each shoulder. <laughs> Nick Mayoga says that's a really great metaphor. It's a shoulder council now. It is, right? Now we got a shoulder football team. Yo. Anna Liz says shoulder angels. Beautiful metaphor. Definitely using that from now on. Uh, Walking Mall Poet says Jocko Angel is literally a thing that happens on my morning runs, right? You ever do the thing when you got Jocko and Goggins, but like you got Jocko giving you, and then Goggins comes in and just starts being like really aggressive, and you're like, all right, all right, Mr. Forty Percent, fine. The Defy says I remember wishing for this exact kind of music a few years ago. So happy to have found you. Be careful what you wish for. Be careful what you wish for. Dan Davis, Akira, we're doing the biblical series. Me alone in my car. Ah! <laughs> d says Meaning Wave Universe could be a comic book. Replace could with will. Also action figure line. <laughs> Regular Father says, I got to the point where I'll just respond to folks with a Meaning Wave line. Same here. <laughs> Feels like it works. Do you want great? Hey! Ah! Ask God, maybe he'll give it to you. Rumpa Jumper says, I can draw. Send us some drawings. I would love to see your drawings. Because he loves all. It's here, like the air. All you have to do is receive. Or a more orthodox, a Catholic Christian would say, all you have to do is to be baptized, to take the holy sacrament of the altar, the bread and wine, the body and blood of Christ, and there is the grace, right there. And it's given by these simple physical means so that it's uh, very easily and readily available. Well, a lot of people got baptized. And it doesn't always take. 
people fall from grace. Why do they? You see, we're just talking about the same old problem. But we've put it a step up. But it's the same problem. How can I improve myself? Was the first problem. The second problem is you are great. Just as the problem of grace 
is nothing more than a transposition of the first problem. How am I to be unselfish? By my own power. It becomes how am I to get grace by my own power. right there on the meaning stream from the new album how to be a better person on all streaming platforms now a brand new modern classic from your boy and a brand new imagining of an existing classic from your boy sonically probably my favorite record but it's the most recent meaning wave record right oh we did just put out a christmas album too that's also lovely very lovely yeah, but then the next one's better, I guess. I guess I'm afraid. I'm afraid January's album is is uh, an improvement on this one. In many ways. Of course, you know, it's, it's wrong to compare babies with each other, you know. You have a couple babies, they both lovely. <laughs> hey. Hey, mate, thank you for being here tonight. It was uh, the uh, Meaning Crisis uh, part two. Meaning crisis and chill. We're gonna do this again next week. See how it goes. See if we wanna keep doing it more nay. Hey, hey. Thank you for being here. WMIV says Sonic Masterpiece. Hey, thanks. Fuzzy Chi says each album baby is a blessing. That's true. Number one gym fan says, Did you make it up a little don? Ah. Dunno. Maybe. We shall see. Dun, dun, dun. Um, Rumpa Chumpa was cracking. D-Man, crisis avoided till next time. Yeah, maybe for us, not them axial fuckers. God bless. God bless them. Uh, make sure you go follow John Vivaki over on Twitter or uh, here on YouTube. Uh, check out his live meditations. They're very epic. And uh, say hi. He's very friendly. We'll be back tomorrow. We got Dune, 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 Dune Wave Audio Book Club. Very joyful. Uh, we got Switch in the morning at 7 a.m. Disco party, turbo party of some kind. I don't, know if, I don't know if it's disco tomorrow. We do disco on Saturdays, but I do like playing disco. I, I, there's a there's a part of me that's just disco, you know. There's a part of me that's that's just uh, a, an illuminated uh, dance floor and some flares for whatever reason. Uh, thank you to everyone who supported tonight. Thank you, Lucic Music, Andrew Clunis. Thank you to all the members of the channel. God bless each and every one of you. If you want to support the wave, uh, you can go to meaningwave.com and uh, hit the donate section and you can find our Bitcoin and Venmo and Cash App and uh, PayPal and all that. We have a Patreon if you're into that kind of thing. 
we've got a band camp where you can download all the records in high quality or whatever or low quality if you want if you want low quality we got that for you too uh, we've got Spotify, we've got a lot of epic playlists over there. We've got a lo-fi Christmas playlist, uh, which is really kicking off right now. And uh, speaking of lo-fi Christmas, we've got lo-fi Christmas radio 24-7 running on the second channel. If you want somewhere to go hang out and listen to lovely Christmas music all day long, we've got that. Speaking of all day long, we've got a Discord. The links for all these things are in the description of the broadcast. And you can head on down to the Discord and kick it with the homies. Get involved in epic activities. Currently, people are working out how to have a, a bingo, how to have bingo on stream. Apparently, that's going on. There's some bingo activities. We're going to play bingo on, on Twitch one of these days. Maybe soon. Maybe soon. So go forth and be mighty by Jove. And uh, of course, you know, all of these are things you can do if you want to help Meaning Wave. But the number one, number one thing I suggest you all do is let someone know today. Meaning Wave exists. I mean, it does. Meaning Wave exists. And, uh, if, you're, if you're gonna let, wait for, uh, I don't know what you're waiting for, but you know, you better not be relying on, uh, you know, someone putting your boy on a big podcast or something like that. You can't be relying on external forces to save the world, you know? Oh, this big thing is going to come along and happen. Everything's going to... Might happen, might not. That's not how things work. But what does work is when you tell somebody and they like it. And then they come down and they listen to music and then they tell somebody and they like it. And that's basically how the thing has grown thus far. It hasn't been a case of some big thing that's blowing everything up or anything like that. Uh, it's a case of just of, of you lot telling people when you like stuff and those people telling people and it just growing. So tell somebody today, baby. Tell them today. Meaning Wave exists. It do! And that way we can grow and we can continue to grow and that way, uh, you know, we can continue to make music and do things at a bigger and better pace and and uh, hey maybe I'll be able to start affording to get people to make music videos that would be really nice and uh, things like that and we can start like you know doing really epic things like uh, action figures and stuff like that you know uh, Michael Jackson level visuals uh, maybe start getting people to come in here and work on the stream visuals and do like live live kind of like visual activities and there's so much we could be doing there's so many epic things that uh, I'm excited to start doing as we grow uh, and as we move toward our destiny of uh, you know doing epic giant sort of like touring uh, 2020s uh, sort of um, Grateful Dead type traveling giant stage show type shit, you know? With holograms and things of that nature. You know, that traveling meaning stuck, that that meaning rave, that, that epic thing, you know? So yeah, for all that to happen, all you gotta do is let someone know today, Beating Wave exists! Basically, yeah, that's all you have to do. If every one of you does that and, uh, and does that every day, We'll be on Mars before you know it. So, yes, exactly, Patrick Smith. YouTube hero, Alex Action Figure. Exactly. Comes with a, a ban hammer, you know, and a trebuchet for the yeezing. That's, I mean, what, a, you know, what else do you want? What else do you want? D-Man says a lucky train. Yeah, you get a special meaning wave set that comes with a lucky train. You know, you get the special Akira the Dawn with the accessories. Water bottle. All that. 
anyway, uh, it's time for us to get out of here. So you guys could all go hang out at Meaning Wave Radio 24-7, uh, Lo-Fi Christmas, if you like, and go hang out and listen to Christmas music and plan your Christmas, you know? Plan what presents you're going to get people and things of that nature. Uh, what kind of cookies you're going to leave for Santa? Yeah, you know, where are you going to... Where, uh, where, no, uh, where, where the elf on the shelf might next materialize. Exactly. Truth and justice, yeet. Anyway, all that remains for us now to do is a bye five, so thank you all for being here. We'll be back uh, tomorrow uh, morning, 7 a.m. CT, and tomorrow night, 7 CT, and we'll be doing this meaning crisis thing again uh, next week. So let's all look forward to that, shall we? I know I already am. All right, bye five time. Three, two, one, bye. La 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 la. Good night, you beautiful thing. Mwah.